Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The sound of endurance racing around the world. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Hello everyone, Richard Crow here and welcome to On The Grid, a weekly in-depth look at the Australian motorsport scene here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. On The Grid covers everything from supercars to S5000, TCR to Australian GT and a whole heap more. Weekly spread of interviews, news, views and opinion on what makes the sport tick down under. We'd love to have you involved as well. If you've got any questions about Antipodean racing, drop us a line on the socials by using at the race talk on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, and we'll include your question in the next show. So that's it from me. Grab a beer, put a snag on the Barbie, fire up some Bathurst on the TV and crank up your V8 and enjoy an Aussie look at our great sport. And let's welcome the show's host with the most, the voice of the Melbourne cricket ground as well, is Tony Shebecki. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid. Thank you for joining us. Got a show coming up tonight uh, that'll include a chat with myself and Richard Crowell a little bit later on. We'll also hear from new Dick Johnson racing driver Will Davison about his new signing with the team and also a F1 update from Dale Rogers. But first the news and as we said Dick Johnson Racing has announced their new team for 2021 and also announced the technical guru Ludo Lacroix will be staying on with the team in 2021. It was unsure Krah would stay with the team after Team Penske's withdrawal and also the departure of Scott McLaughlin as a full-time driver to IndyCars. However, the Frenchman will stay in 2021 and provide stability in the back end with the arrival of the team's two new drivers, Anton Di Pasquale and Will Davison. Let's listen to Will and Anton along with Dick Johnson and Ryan Storey talk about the new look DJR for next year. 2020 was a year that promised a lot for me and um, you know everything that went down uh, was yeah it was it was a tricky year being on the sidelines but uh, yeah to, to effectively uh, be back at DJR where my career started um, yeah is an amazing feeling you know I feel like I've got a lot of things I want to achieve in the sport and um, you know obviously to join this team um, rich with history um, but obviously coming off so much success in the last sort of uh, three years. I was racing in the main game for a few years and uh, I feel like I'm ready to step up into a into a bigger team and to a bigger opportunity so super excited to be here and uh, can't wait to get started. Will is a known commodity because he's been here before and, uh, and raced with the team. Still, a lot of the people that were here then are still here now. So he, he fits in very easily. And Anton, I think Anton's at a stage pretty much where Scott was when he first joined the team in 2017. So I think it's going to be a really good combination. Will's been a wonderful asset to the championship for many years. He started his career right here at Dick Johnson Racing. And in Anton, we've got a young driver who's got enormous potential. He's already got a win under his belt and plenty of podiums to go with it. And we're sure he can add to his tally in his tenure here at Dick Johnson Racing. Um, you know, I've been in the sport quite a long time and still feel like, um, you know, I've got plenty of pace, but I've got a lot of experience as well. 
Um, so, you know, I realise how important the, the relationship is for us to, to work together and to work with the team to um, obviously both get uh, success for the whole team. So uh, I'm sure he's uh, got some big things ahead of him. I'm still early on in my career, so to still be teamed up with an experienced, you know, race winner, championship contender, Bathurst winner, stuff like that is awesome. Um, we'll be able to work together really well, help each other, and uh, hopefully as a team we can, uh, we can keep the, the cars at the front. In Will Davison, we have experience and a guy who's super quick, in Anton Di Pasquale, we've got a young gun, ready to race, ready to win. Obviously been driving the Holden for a few years, so there'll be little traits of that, which I'll have to work out the differences for the Mustang, work out how to get the speed of the car, work with the crew, and uh, understand why and how and all those little things. But I'm super excited. It's obviously shown its speed on track the last few years, so I'm uh, really excited to get on, uh, on board and have a crack. Thanks to Supercars Media for that audio. Will Davison, as we said, to join us shortly on the show. Gulf Western Oil's Touring Car Masters six-round schedule for season 2021 has been revealed. TCM will steer off in late January at Simmons Plains Raceway in Tasmania before a TBA round two set for March. Rounds three, four and five will be part of the Shannon's Motorsport Australia Championships. The Motorsport Park in May, Morgan Park in July and Sandown in September. The finale will be held at the Bathurst International at a date yet to be set in either November or December. The 2018 Porsche Pace Carrera Cup Australia champion Jackson Evans has been included in the driver lineup for the Dempsey Proton Racing team for this weekend's eight hour of Bahrain, the final round of the 1920 FIA World Endurance Championship. The Porsche Junior, who recently added the 2020 Porsche Carrera Cup France Championship to his resume, was a front runner for the Porsche Mobile One Super Cup this year for BWT Lechner Racing clinching the opening round of the season in Spielberg, Austria. Evans also completed in the inaugural 24 Hours of Le Mans virtual race with Porsche Esports earlier this year and won the Porsche Junior Shootout back in 2018. If you want to catch Jackson Evans, you can do that via the WEC app or the action live there. The Australian Grand Prix has retained its spot as the opening Grand Prix of the year for the 2021 season. A 23-race provisional calendar has been announced and Albert Park will play host to Round 1 with race day scheduled for the 21st of March. Dale Rogers joins us later with an F1 update. And in MotoGP, Andrea Divizioso has announced he's having a year off next year after losing his seat at the Ducati factory team and has admitted through his manager he had no plan B. Meanwhile, Andrea Ioni has received an 18-month suspension for use of a banned substance. All right, time to have a listen to Will Davis and have a chat. Of course, he is uh, proudly sponsored by Doric and one of our great mates of the program, Tom Arcioli from Doric, caught up with Will for a chat about his new role at Dick Johnson Racing and how he thinks that might go for him. Uh, my name's Tom and I am here with Doric and Kyogre Racing Ambassador Will Davison to talk about some really exciting news. Hello, Willie. Hello, Tom. Mate, the, the, the cat's out of the bag. The story's out. You're confirmed for 2021 as a full-time driver at Dick Johnson Racing. How excited are you? Yeah, thanks, Tommy. Um, yeah, hugely excited. Um, been a weird year and, you know, plenty of uncertain moments, um, plenty of soul-searching, but, you know, I've never never lost faith and, you know, I've always kept my head down and, um, you know, it's been, feels like it's been forever now. I look back from that moment at Albert Park when um, the Grand Prix was shut down and then only a few weeks later to have lost my drive, um, 
I can't believe the way it's panned out, um, you know, and uh, yeah, we've, we've worked really hard to try and get this opportunity. And um, I just never quite knew till the ink was on the paper that it was going to actually happen. But um, obviously to be in the game full time was step number one, but then to do it, the championship winning team and car um, is just unbelievable. It, it's such a good feeling to know I've got such a great opportunity ahead of me and, um, you know, I never never lost faith, but uh, these opportunities don't come around very often. So, uh, just yeah, massively thrilled. You know, all my supporters have been amazing this year, and um, you know, I'm just pumped that I can go back racing and and you know, hopefully uh, achieve some great things. So, how did it come about? How did this deal come about for you? Um, you know, I from you know, the moment everything went pear-shaped for me, um, you know, I was on the phone to, to lots of people, all the teams, and um, certainly very early on, I was contacted by uh, Ryan Story at DJR, and, um, you know, it was one of those little phone calls, and I had so many of them over the, the course, of, course of six months, but uh, it's one of those little ones very early on that obviously picked my spirits up a little bit, but it was very far from anything in concrete. It was just touching base, um, you know, we've certainly got an interest in you and let's just keep talking. Um, and bit by bit, you can imagine I was just uh, very, very keenly, um, you know, very, very keenly attacking that option. It was always priority one for me in plan A. Um, but in the meantime, I had plan B, C, D in place and the balls were always moving and opportunities were, you know, there was lots of interest out there, but actually getting the opportunities to, to life was tricky and uh, was playing a lot of poker. And even as of over a few weeks ago at Bathurst, you know, I, I just didn't quite know which way the balls would land. And, you know, I was holding everything out for this opportunity at DJR. Um, I've been in regular contact with them and um, it's just been a long process. They've obviously had some changes in their ownership. Um, so I never lost faith, faith that they wanted me in the team. It was just trying to get it all together and, um, you know, finally, just after Bathurst, I got the call that everything was good to go. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, yeah, a pretty emotional moment for Rihanna and I. And, uh, uh, yeah, it just finally felt like a few things were, were going our way. And that's just life, you know, when you get hit in the face and, and sort of dealt a couple of blows, you can either sink or swim. And I'm really proud with the way we, we dealt with the year. And, you know, I think we've just only become stronger from what we were dealt with this year. And, uh, it's easier now in hindsight to say that, but, you know, even if this deal didn't happen, I know, you know, we, we did everything we could and um, to get this opportunity and uh, just, yeah, it feels, feels really special now that it's out there. I've been into the workshop. I've got to meet the team and see the way they operate is uh, so cool. I feel like a kid in a candy store. You said you've been and met the team. So do you get a chance to get your uh, driver's seat sitting ready to go and get your foot on the accelerator before Christmas? Yes, yeah, I've sat, sat in the cars already and uh, I'll do my seat actual seat mould this week, but uh, certainly have jumped in their cars and, and sort of had a bit of a look around at, you know, the way their ergonomics work and the way their cockpit design's laid out and, um, you know, I've had a bit of a play around with some creature comfort stuff, uh, which is pretty awesome. They're a really impressive team. Um, so already asking me what, you know, my preferred... Um, you know, lots of little things in the car, but what my preferred com comforts are with, with throttles and um, seats and steering wheels and um, 
clutch feels, brake master cylinder feels, you know, a lot of little things, which sometimes you don't get that <laughs> luxury, um, but certainly there, they, they go the extra mile to, to, to make the drivers as comfortable as possible. So it's a seriously well-oiled machine. I'm, I'm really impressed with what I've seen so far and uh, yeah, just massively excited. So you're going to get a drive of the car before Christmas? Yes. Yeah. We, we've got um, next week, actually, there's uh, there's a sponsor, a couple of sponsor ride days and even a, a tie test for supercars where um, they're, they're potentially introducing a different compound tire. So uh, yeah, certainly very happy that I'm, I'm going to be able to go into Christmas with some feeling, not necessarily a test day, so to speak, but at least a feeling of what their cars are like and give me something to think about over the break. Um, you know, as we all know, testing is really limited in this category. So generally there's only one day of testing before you go to the first race. So if you're spending that whole day in a new team, um, you know, as your first day, you, you know, you only get half a day by the time you've sorted your seat position and all your comfort out, uh, you really lose half of day of testing. So to be able to knock all those sort of little details out of the way this year, um, yeah, will certainly carry us in good stead uh, for next year. Because there is always a settling in process with a new team, no matter how good the team is. Um, just me understanding the car and how they tune it and, you know, understanding the lingo with their engineers. And there's a settling in process, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll do all we can to, to fast track that and make sure we hit the ground running at the first race next year. So you say you're doing a tyre test. So what does a tyre test involve? So do you do long runs, short runs? Do you just get the mercy of supercars? So what do you do at a tyre test? Yeah, totally at the mercy of supercars. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll check in with you after that. Um, I don't entirely know, but uh, I've done one years ago and generally they'll, you know, they'll run a, a current compound tyre that they use now and you'll do a qualifying simulation and then maybe a race stint of 20 or 30 runs and then whatever they're, new proposed tyre is they'll they'll back to back it so you'll again do a qual simulation run to compare the peak outright speed of the tyre and then you'll also do a, a longer uh, race run on that tyre and, and overlay the, the degradation rate of the tyre which is I gather what this is all about um, trying to create a tyre that has huge degradation because I think that's where the, the racing um, will improve for the category and, and the show will improve. And um, if the tyre drops off a cliff quicker, it means it punishes drivers that don't look after their tyre. Their and, and then we see, you know, a big variation in speed late in the stints, which is generally where we see a lot of action, which is what the category wants. Yeah. So when you finish your test next week, um, then you obviously go into your off-season. What do you do from a training perspective to keep yourself in shape? Um, because the first race is not till you know, probably February, I'd say. So how you keep yourself in shape for the next two and a bit, two and a bit months? Yeah, definitely. No, I've sort of got a pretty uh, full-on program ahead of me already for the off-season. Um, Rihanna and I were training for a big half Ironman this coming up weekend, but I've just had to pull out of that now at the last minute just because of um, some team commitments. Um, so I've been training really hard anyway, and, and certainly for me uh, with this opportunity coming up, um, you know, I'm not really that keen on any big holidays. You know, I've, I've had too much time at home on the couch as it is this year. So for me, it's, uh, yeah, just going to be an intense off-season, just getting myself in as good shape as I possibly can, um, try and get myself, you know, absolutely at my peak fitness. And uh, I can't wait. So, no, I'll be pretty much hanging around home. We'll do a couple of family trips over to Perth for Rihanna's family and 
hopefully I get to see my family in, in Victoria, whether they can come up here. Hopefully these Queensland borders open to Victoria um, or otherwise I go down there because I haven't seen my family since March, Albert Park actually. So uh, yeah, so uh, a couple of little trips, family things, but besides that, we'll just be home here and I'll be getting the go-kart out um, and I'll just be out doing triathlons and just getting myself ready. The good thing is the workshop's only 20 minutes from home up in Yatla, Dick Johnson Racing. So to be so close to the workshop as well um, is exciting for me. I'm, I'm in there any opportunity I can at the moment because, um, as I said, it's just all about settling in and, and getting to know the team. So I'll be spending lots of time at the factory. Let's finish off with Bathurst. Uh, P2 ran so close. Your biggest race of the year turned out to be, but finished second, uh, so close to getting a number three Peter Brock trophy. Uh, how are your feelings after that race? <laughs> um, mixed emotions, really. I mean, any day you can finish second at Bathurst and, um, you know, is a good day. The, the performance of the team was, was really um, extraordinary. It was a real pleasure to be a part of, to be honest, such a well-executed uh, four days. And you just can only applaud 97 because they were that little bit better. So at the end of the day, I think the battle between us and them was was absolutely awesome. No one blinked. I mean, we didn't make one single mistake through Cam and I, the car speed, um, our whole build-up to the race and the pit stops, the guys in the crew were just it were awesome. It was faultless. And it's it's very rare you you have all of those elements and you don't win the race. So... Yeah, you know, knowing how close we were to get that third trophy was, yeah, we, we all felt a little little bit numb at the end. But at the end of the day, we also knew we'd all performed at a really high level and we did everything we could. So there was no mistakes that cost us the win. Um, it was just a really high level race where a couple of little things just didn't quite roll our way um, in the mid part of the race. And that that's the way it goes. So no, awesome day, awesome race. And um, second's a great result, but yeah, we, we were also, you know, just felt a, li- a little bit disappointed. Well, year 10 of the Doak Racing World Davidson Partnership might not have gone as we hoped, but year 11 looks like uh, a pretty exciting one, mate. So we uh, wanted to say congratulations on that and we can't wait for 2021, mate. Yeah, thank you, Tom. And yeah, obviously my, my, my law supporters, like I've said, and uh, means the world to me this year when it's been, you know, had some tough moments, but to know I've got the support of, um, you know, ALG and Doric and Cowdroy um, in times when your back's against the wall, um, you know, really means a lot because, um, you know, now I feel like this opportunity is, you know, a good way to repay you guys as well and we can enjoy some success together. So, uh, yeah, I think everything happens for a reason and, uh, yeah, whatever happened this year if it didn't happen maybe i wouldn't be in this great position i'm in now so uh, it was a good lesson in that all right mate get get inside get in that car next week and i'll talk to you soon what are we uh what are we talking about this week shebex well no it's sort of it's been a busy off season but it's been yeah. quietish as well i suppose the big thing from supercar's point of view is that we finally have the naming of the drivers for Dick Johnson Racing for 2021. Mm. And no surprise, Anton Di Pasquale and Will Davison get the gig. And I'm really, really wrapped for Will that he goes back to his roots. Yeah, I am too. It's it's a good story. Um, and it's good for that team as well. I, I think, to be honest, though, 
those those cars are properly good. Um, so if you're a half capable driver, you're probably going to go all right. I, I reckon the big story, with the fullest respect to Will and Anton, obviously I say that. The big story, I think, is that the team has confirmed that Ludo Lacroix will stay. Yes. So, and he has been a team isn't built off the back of one person, but he's certainly a massive influence. Uh, and he's been a huge role in engineering Scotty to two of the three championships and then playing a, a more broader role this year um, from a, from an overall team point of view. So I think that's a, a as big a signing perhaps from a DJR perspective as locking in Will Davo and Anton Di Pasquale are. But, but it's a good balance, isn't it? And, and in those two drivers, they've got guys that are both now very experienced. You've got one at one end of the spectrum who's been in the sport for a long time. He's a Bathurst winner. He's a proven front runner in the championship. One of the most consistent guys, very good with sponsors, very good commercially. He's got good brand recognition. So he's a name. People know the name yeah. Davison. Um, and then on the other side, you've got a young gun who has been touted for a long time since his super two days of being the next big thing or one of the next big things in our sport. So all of a sudden you've got a, a great mix of youth and experience in your two cars. And I think that puts DJR along with their consistency from this year in a really good position to pick up where they left off and be a competitive force from the first round of the championship in 2021, whenever and wherever that may be. And we've spoken about this in the last couple of weeks, but DJR effectively don't lose too much, do they? Apart from a, a fair bit of cash from Roger Penske, which yeah, I well, think he hadn't really put into the team, has he? Well, I, I think... Recently. And and look, we're only speculating, and, and we'll get people from the team on later in the year to have a chat, but the, the initial impact from Roger Penske came in that cash injection they needed yep. to get the good people to get the gear up to date and the best stuff you could possibly buy, both from a workshop point of view, from a race team point of view, pit stops, everything like that. So it was that initial spend, but I don't think Roger chips in an enormous amount out of his own back pocket, certainly not to supercars. Um, That's why the the reason he's so successful is that he leverages all of his commercial deals so very well. Mm. Uh, like bringing Ford back into the sport, like bringing Shell V Power and Viva Australia back into the sport in a big way and all the other brands that are involved in that program. So they pay for it, which I think is fantastic. And from what we understand, all of those brands are committed to going yeah. on and, and even Penske will remain a partner of the team from a sponsorship capacity Excellent. going forward to help leverage some of those things. So from a budget point of view, I don't think it's a massive loss. The, the question I would ask in reaction to that is, does Triple Eight losing Holden's money affect them more than DJR losing Roger Penske's money? I don't yeah. know. Having said that, we know that Triple Eight have just signed Ampol mm. on, so one would think that they've kept Red Bull. Yeah. So one would think that hopefully it's just a straight swap. Is it a like for like? Ampole via the Caltex brand that they were before have always been involved in T8. So do they step up? Um, are they tipping more money in? We'll never know. What It is a positive sign though, isn't it? That that there's, if you're good enough, there's sponsorship there to be had yep. still, despite everything we've been through. Because I think one of the concerns from a Triple Eight point of view was, would they replace Holden? Would they be able to replace Holden? 
what's their long-term plan? Red Bulls towards the end of their agreement. So will they continue onwards? They're a, a team in transition as well, because we don't expect Jamie to be there as a driver for an enormous amount of time. Certainly maybe one or two full-time seasons and that would be it. Um, but it's positive that these announcements and these teams can continue to function as we head into a year when, while the capital outlay to upgrade to Gen 3 will be large, in theory, the running costs will be significantly less expensive. So We've that before, haven't we? Well, we have, but they balls it up last time. Let's hope this time <laughs> they actually get it right. And they have, But they have to, don't they? Like, yeah, they do. They can't they get do. it wrong. So I think it's positive. I, I think it's, it's decent signs that if you're strong commercially, you're in a reasonable position despite the, the state of the current market. Having said that, this year is probably one of the first years in a while that we've actually seen the majority of cars, if when I say majority, I actually mean all the cars actually carry a decent amount of sponsorship on them. We hmm. haven't had any plain white cars go through the supercar field this year or minimal sponsors or the like. Every car has had, had a decent sponsorship uh, every race. In, and in a year where there's been so much turmoil, hmm. that's not a bad sign, as you said. Well, when we spoke in late March, I think we would have been okay and not okay. It would have been terrible, but I think we would have accepted it as a win if maybe 25% of the field lost their major sponsors. Mm. I think at the start of this crisis, if we sat down and went, okay, well, 25% of the major backers are going to pull the pin. But if it was only 25%, I think you'd walk away from that going, Okay, we've dodged a bullet there. It could have been all of them. But really, Milwaukee, at least overtly, are the only brand that's gone, yeah. nah, we're, we, we can't do this anymore. So that's incredibly promising. Look, it, it, the commercial side's so murky. You never know what the figures are. So you, you don't know how much a Penrite is putting into Erebus, for example, and how much Betty's still putting in out of her own pocket. Um, you don't know how much um, I'm trying to think of another example. Triple eight exist on sponsorship. So that's a, that's a, a fact that they're, they're fully backed for the most part. And the same would go for, for Dick Johnson racing, but there are other teams there that, that derive Irwin. revenue sources from other. Well, yeah. Erwin, how much is Charlie putting in yeah. to, to both of those cars? Are they full budget? We don't know. What's a full budget is a full budget, 600 grand or is a full budget, 1.2 million, which is, mm. it, it probably should be. If, if it's 600 grand, then there's more money coming from somewhere else to help, to help keep the thing afloat. Cause it costs more than that to run a car for the year. Yeah. So you don't know, but you're right. Visually all the cars being sticked up, all the cars having branding, all the cars having quite decent sponsorship on them and, and reputable brands and good brands is fantastic for the sport. And, and, as visually it looks like everyone's sponsored, then that's only a positive thing in trying to go and sell more because it looks like these brands are involved. Even if they're tipping in 50 grand and a carton of beer, at least it looks like they're in, in a big way. Not to be a good carton of beer. Let me tell you. Well, uh, the other thing is also uh, let's not undervalue. And I know we haven't, and I know we don't, and I know we won't mm. undervalue the channel seven portion of this coverage of supercars for next year and the cross promotion mm. that comes with channel seven through their AFL coverage, their big bash coverage, all that sort of stuff, test cricket coverage. Mm. 
that they and and they're very well rated TV programs. There's going to be a lot of that happening, and the value of cars being seen on the screen more than just on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on race weekends mm. is going to be immense. Yeah, I think that's pretty significant. Shebex moving forward, uh, the the seven deal on paper looks pretty good. Six free-to-air events throughout the year, highlights, the plus seven stuff or seven plus on the streaming app is positive. But I think long-term, you're right, the, the benefits will pay off as we get into that relationship. And you'll have Will Davison pop up on Friday Night Football cheering. I think he's an yes. Essendon supporter, isn't he? Um, uh, yeah, probably, yeah. Uh, I, I think he, I don't know why I think that, but I think he is. Um, or Brianna on back in the West Coast Eagles or whatever it might be. Um, I know Scotty was a Western Bulldogs he supporter. Was. So um, I'm probably still is, even though he's in the States. So you'll have someone from the paddock pop up on Friday night football, which is week in, week out, the highest rated period of Australian TV generally yep. um, going, Hey, supercars are on next weekend. Tune in on seven. How good's this? Here's a driver, have a chat, half time, whatever it might be. That value, that cross promotion is great. But then it's also the lifestyle stuff and it's the better homes and gardens and let, let's go and renovate a driver's backyard or let's go see Nick Perkett and, and the dogs. Um, it, it's that crossover potential yes, that seven yeah. has got with these high rated programs. And it's the highest rated network in Australia at the moment that will be incredibly valuable. And that's where the value in that TV deal lies is the cross promotional benefit. And, and you the evidence of this and, and I don't want to, talk down about channel 10 but they're in a really bad rut at the moment yep and they don't have an audience and the proof of that was the melbourne cup last week lowest audience in history for the melbourne cup 1.8 million nationally backless 1000 had 1.5 so the race that stops the nation quote unquote didn't really stop it this year relative to our own biggest race Mm. but 3.9 million people watched the afl grand final so that's the difference. So would you rather have your series being promoted in a show that's reaching 4 million people or less than two? And yeah, the yeah. answer to everybody is the AFL portion. So that's, that's where the seven thing works, I think. And um, they've jumped on seven or seven has jumped on supercars at the right time for that relationship to really bear fruit moving forward. And, and all of the team's commercial departments will be selling that. Element, yeah, well, sure. There's no doubt about that. And I think we should also mention too, that uh, rugby union, has signed a one-year deal with Stan and mm. Nine for 2021 at the value of $30 million. So we've spoken about this for a long time and we even put it as a possibility if that wasn't if there wasn't a serious TV deal mm. that maybe a streaming service would step up and tape supercars. We're finally seeing a major streaming service such as Stan, which of course competes with Netflix and Amazon Prime mm. and the like, actually dip into the world of sport and one would only think that this is just going to be bigger and better with Stan, I think, announcing that they will have a dedicated sports channel. Yeah, that you know, that it didn't surprise me so much. The dollar figure rugby got surprised me. I didn't think they'd get 30 million because they're a basket case at the moment. They are just horrible and their ratings are not good. And even the Bledisloe that's been ongoing have has not rated particularly mm. well for 10 and Fox. Um yeah, that, that's an interesting one. I, I agree with you. There's a, there's a story on the race talk I wrote yesterday, well, Monday, talking along those lines that, that it's a key indicator that the streaming stuff is coming. 
So the interesting thing about that rugby announcement for mine was that it it wasn't so much Channel Nine trumpeting that they've got the rights. It was Stan. It was, it was Channel Nine going, "Hey, our our pay streaming service yeah. has got the rights. We're going to piggyback off them." Uh huh. So yeah. they'll show the Wallaby stuff free to wear on Nine, but they will smash in every single one of those broadcasts. Hey, if you want to see more of the rugby championship, if you want to see uh, Super Rugby games, New Zealand playing whoever. Um, or New South Wales v Victoria or whoever, Queensland. I don't know much about rugby and it probably sounds like it, but um, you need to go and subscribe to Stan and watch that in the same way that Amazon Prime goes, if you want to watch The Mandalorian, uh, Disney Plus, sorry, if, if you want to watch The Mandalorian, you have to pay for our subscription. It's the only way you can stream that show, yeah, the show correct. that everyone wants to watch. And Disney Plus... It's the same. If you want to watch a Marvel movie, they've gone from Fox. They're not on free-to-air. If you want to watch it, Disney Plus, pay for it. So that's what these streaming services do. And sport is a key driver for that. Look at KO, mate. They've got 600,000 subscribers at 25 bucks a month. Yeah. Like that thing's viable all of a sudden because they've got supercars, they've got cricket, they've got AFL, they've got NRL, and they've got the digital rights for them. And I reckon in five years when the supercar TV deal comes up, this year's TV deal starts next year was Channel 7 and Fox Sports. I reckon in five years, it'll be KO and 7 Plus. Yeah. The, the the network side of it will be secondary. I think the digital side will be taking advantage or taking the headlines when it comes to a broadcast well, point of view. We've definitely seen it happening in the States with sports. Mm. Major League Baseball actually have an affiliation, I think it is, with uh, YouTube yes. in regards to playing specific games that are exclusive yep. to YouTube. So we're starting to see in the last couple of years, major sport provide their services to streaming services. Yep. And to an extent, even the EPL, I suppose here in Australia is Optus Vision oh, is a streaming mm. service, isn't it? It has been yeah. for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. It has. That was the first one, but because the EPL has got a, it's got a cult following here, but it's not big by any extent. Yeah. It's not a mainstream sport. It was probably, Probably didn't really pop up on the radar, but Optus clearly, they're still spending money at it. I think they've just renewed their deal. So clearly it's valuable for them. Clearly they've got subscribers out of it, which is the whole idea. This is why Fox continue to chase supercars is because it brings subscribers to their platform. Yep. And it, and it bring if it doesn't bring you to a Foxtel box, it brings you to a KO subscription. So either way they win. It's money in their pocket. That's great. Are organizations, sporting organizations, just a little bit scared about, the possibility of what the outcome might be. And I'm talking about the fact that we've seen over in America that multiple stations run different, run sport. So the NBL runs across Fox, CBS, uh, they have... NBA. Yeah. NBA, sorry, uh, run their different... I think even NASCAR might have different stations showing different events. Will we ever see a situation here where supercars may exclusively sell Bathurst to one network, sell these races to that network and those races to another? Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm actually just Googling NASCAR TV deal to talk about that because their, their deal split across Fox and NBC. Yep. So it's, it's a significant amount of money between the two of them. So Fox has the opening portion of the championship. NBC has the second half. Um, so it's four 
$1.5 billion, Gee, I think it is, for the NBC component and another two with Fox. So, but it, ma- massive market. It's ridiculously more. And NBC get Daytona, do they, for their 4.5? No, the Fox have Daytona because it's really? the start of the season. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, back in the day, you, Daytona used to alternate year to year. So Fox, um, there was there was a period. So 2004, five. Uh, it was Fox, CBS, and NBC all had NASCAR rights. Yeah. So they'd all, and they'd alternate Daytona and then they'd have their chunks of the season. Look, I, I don't know. I If I was supercars and I'm far from a media rights dealer, but I follow it very closely. So I've got a vague understanding. I, I don't think you'd split your biggest event from the rest of the championship because I don't think the rest of the championship is worth anywhere near what Bathurst is worth. And I mean that as in, if the supercars TV deal is $40 million a year, which is what we think it is, then Bathurst is probably 20 million of that 40. Yeah. Okay. And all of the other events are the rest of the 20, I would have yeah. thought because Bathurst outrates everything by two to one. And it is one of the biggest sporting events on Australian TV and, and broadcasters and networks love Bathurst because it's a long broadcast. It's six hours of motor racing yes, correct. and it rates from start to finish. So that's why it's so big. I, I don't think you'd see it split. I think what will change is the breakdown between what's on terrestrial television and what's on a streaming app uh, and and how that changes in the future because terrestrial for the, TV for is going to change. In Europe or around the world who may be listening to us through the Radio Show Limited's RS1, an explanation of what Richard's talking about is the fact that we also have laws over here called anti-siphoning laws, mm. which mean that major events for major sport need to be shown on free-to-air TV. And my understanding is is a Bathurst definitely is one of those events. Yeah, the motorsport events on the anti-siphoning list are the Bathurst 1000 and the Australian Grand Prix and the Australian MotoGP. Yeah. So they're the three. Um, outside of that, it's free-for-all. So those three events must be shown on publicly available free-to-air television. So whatever deal they do with, subscription tv or streaming it doesn't matter that's great but it has to be available on a free-to-air network uh, otherwise they're in breach of government law but how long is that going to last well because that's the question isn't it as ratings continue to slip for free-to-air broadcasters as and people, as the landscape of media changes as well 100 well, significantly but, yeah definitely so what i i would i i need to look into it but what if channel seven come along and go right we're not going to show it on our broadcast network at all, but it's going to be on our app. Yeah. Does that count? Yeah. I don't I know. Thought so. I, neither would I. Neither would I. But it is still free to view because the Plus 7 app is free. You can. So what you Channel might find then app. is that they give it to a station like SBS for free, just so it's not free to wear. And we've seen that happen, especially in regards to uh, the world game, soccer yeah. or football. We've seen SBS and the ABC just being handed events yeah. For free, just so they get that free-to-air component. Yeah, uh, to tick the box. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's interesting, but it's going to change and, and regulations have to keep up with the changing media landscape. Um, because I guarantee you, if Facebook or YouTube or Google or Twitch or somebody else comes along and offers a wad of cash to a major sporting organisation, they're going to take it. Yeah. And at some point, legislation is going to have to catch up to the way that sport is covered. So anti-siphoning is great. 
and it ensures that those major sporting events, both the motorsport ones we talked about and the football codes and their major finals and things like that are protected and that everybody can watch them. It's going to change though, because TV is going to be less and less of a go-to for people to watch. And it will be on your mobile phone, on your tablet, on your smart TV, watching when you want, where you want it, how you want to watch it. Um, and it will be up. That will be the metric from how ratings are judged. And that will be how TV deals are negotiated moving forward. It might not be five years in the future, but certainly within a de- in a decade, streaming is just going to take over. It's, it's massive already. Yeah, it certainly is. We should also mention too that, uh, of course, earlier on in the podcast, we heard uh, Will Davison speaking to Tom from Doric. And uh, one of the answers I thought was good for Will is the fact that he's going to get an opportunity to drive one of these Mustangs in the next couple of weeks as himself yeah. and Jamie Winkup take part in a soft tyre evaluation at QR. So we've, we spoke to Dunlop earlier in the year about yes. the possibility of a super, super, super soft tyre coming on board. And yeah. this is what we're looking for. Yeah. So, yeah, win-win there. Um, they get a pretty cagey, experienced guys raced on the Dunlops since they introduced the Dunlop control tyre, basically. So this is a guy that knows, Will Davo knows the Dunlop tyre. He understands the dynamics of the tyre, the behaviour, the wear, the degradation. But what a what a leg up this is for Wilbo to get into a DJR Mustang and work out its differences from the Tickford car that he raced at Bathurst. So perfect way to get a leg up without ruining a test day or wasting a test day in, um, as he talked about in that chat, in getting things like your seat and your comfort and the ergonomics right. He can just jump in that car. They can do all that and he can go and spend a day in the car working it out. So by the time they get to round one next year, they'll be right on the money and good to go. Yeah, good news. Like it. And and look, ultimately, there'll probably be some people complain about it. And I imagine social media will have a wind eye, favoritism towards the teams, blah, blah, blah. But it's good for the sport in that, it means that he's going to be competitive from race one next year. Basically. Exactly. So and there's, there's no that. downside and you want your best teams giving Dunlop the feedback. So you want Ludo talking to Kevy saying, this is what we saw from an engineering point of view. You want Dave Couchy and Grant McPherson and all the guys from triple eight doing the same thing. Like that's what Dunlop want. The fact those two teams are Queensland based helps the cause, but they want that guru feedback. I'm not saying they couldn't get that from Brad Jones racing at Winton, but you two peak teams running the new tire. It, it makes a lot of sense from a Dunlop point of view, from a supercars point of view. And I think from us, it just assures that they're going to be competitive next year. And um, yeah, good stuff. And while there might be feedback going from the teams to Dunlop, we do know that Dunlop will not be providing any of the data. No, team, so that's fair no. Enough. So they, they, supercars are smart enough now. They've been doing this long enough that they know how to manage this. Yeah. So while seat time is incredibly valuable, and there's no doubt Will Davo will get a benefit from being in that car for a day, even if he can't troll over the data and look through everything that he's got, he'll um, he'll feel he'll, he'll feel it through his backside because yeah. he's been doing it for 15 years, so he understands. But supercars are smart enough that they're not they're not going to give a team a massive leg up in a parity sport where everyone's supposed to have the same gear, they're not going to let that happen. So I'm pretty confident in their ability to manage that, especially after the year we've had Shebex where the parity was, it wasn't talked about. We did not talk about parity all year. 
No, exactly, which, which was, was fantastic. Refreshing. It was great yeah. because it, it was not an issue. There was nothing between them. Look yeah. at the finish of the Bathurst 1000. Yep. Yeah. It was a Commodore and a Mustang trading fastest laps with two laps to go in the great race. There was nothing wrong with the parody. No, nothing at all. This year, which is fantastic. Great news coming out in the last couple of days that the uh, Motorsport Australia Festival, the Shannon's Motorsport Australia Festival at Sandown looks like it's a, a goer and will happen. And fantastic news that it's going to be uh, supported by Porsche Pace and Michelin Cup cars uh, over the couple of days, which is great. Yeah, so a joint field of Australia's two top one mate categories. So both uh, the Carrera Cup Australia and Sprint Challenge will run on the same grid. So uh, Sandown grid density from my top of the head thinking is 38. So there could be 38 cup cars on the grid, which would be enormous. Yeah. So there'll be four classes, Pro in Carrera Cup and Sprint Challenge and Pro-Am in both as well. Yeah, it's going to be good. Um, I'm very, very hopeful that the borders open in time so I can get across to it, Chebex, because uh, I think that will be a, a really cool experience. And just a, after a tough year, um, Carrera Cup hasn't raced since the 12th of March at the Grand Prix. They were literally the last national championship car race to be held in Australia this year Yeah, outside of supercars which is pretty remarkable when you think about it. So it's going to be a big thing. Great way just to get teams and drivers and cars on track for one round, blow out the cobwebs, um, get, get things happening before the off season, before we roll into next year. Yeah. Looking good. There's a good uh, field of open wheelers being gathered for that. I spoke to my old mate, Tim Macro, who was on the show earlier this year, uh, earlier today, actually, and, and quizzed him on that. And he's got a field of, um, wings and slicks cars and sports cars that'll be out there as well. So the MG car club who's organizing the event has got him on board with that. There's going to be some regularities, Porsche 944 challenges there, which is one of my favorite categories for yeah. obvious reasons. Looking forward to that. So it's going to be good. Shebex, um, a really good way to um, just hopefully round out the year with a, with a nice race meeting, get some cars on the racetrack and, and give some, the, the, beleaguered Victorians, something to do at a racetrack finally after what's been a pretty horrible time. Pretty happy about that. Finally, mate, before we let you go, we should also mention too that NASCAR wrapped up their season last weekend and uh, congratulations to Chase Elliott. Yeah. As we heard uh, the plumber, Pete the plumber, earlier on in our news segment <laughs> declare that he told us all it was going to happen. It certainly did. Yeah, great story, isn't it? And um, Is it Pete the plumber? I can't remember uh, I haven't listened to it yet as we, uh, as we talk. Um, yeah. What a, what a fantastic story. Second generation driver, um, son of million dollar bill, Bill Elliott, who I think in uh, won the championship in 1988, 87, I think it was one of the big super speedway races. Um, it, it's a fantastic story uh, for him to, to win that championship. One of the young guys, fought it out and, and won it by performing in the final in their knockout system that they've got. And and you have to continue to perform. And it never ceases to amaze me, Shebex, that at one point in that race at Phoenix, all four of the contenders, the four remaining contenders that could win the title were running nose to tail, but yeah. they were at the front of the field. It's just amazing how yeah. it works out. And, and conspiracy theorists, as they do, especially in America at the moment, had popped up going oh it's got to be rigged nascar must have told everyone to slow down but if you're thinking that you haven't watched much nascar have you because those guys race real hard um but it's just they they were at the end the four best guys 
at the final race and they fought out the championship, which was awesome. Also worth noting, Shebex, Jimmy Johnson waves the checkered flag on his remarkable career. Yeah. Seven-time champion, the GOAT of NASCAR in terms of all-time success statistically. And I think history will recall how well he's driven over the years. So a remarkable run of success. And uh, he goes now to chase a dream in IndyCar racing next year with Chip Ganassi Racing, which is hugely exciting. It's such a shame, though, that Chase won this year. We were robbed of the headline, Chase wins the chase. Well, he did win the chase, though. Well, no, don't they call it the playoffs now or something? Well, it's the playoffs, but why were we robbed this year, though? It's oh, been the playoffs for a couple of years. Oh, it hasn't been the chase for a couple of years now. I know, but it would have been nice. I like where you're going. Chase. I like yeah. where you're going. I, I appreciate the effort you put into thinking about that. Oh, no, it didn't take too much stuff. No, no, I didn't. No, <laughs> <laughs> always great to catch up. Yep, good. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a strange week, isn't it? Because there's been so much news in this off season, but just the way it's landed, um, we've. I think it's it off. a calm before the storm. I'm sure that when we catch up next week, we will have a 2021 schedule to talk you about. Yeah, well, okay. From our what understanding, about, um, it was only a week or so away last week, and I think probably Adelaide threw things a little bit into confusion there, but. I reckon probably in the next week or so, in the next few days, I reckon we'll see something. Yeah, I, I'm not uh, I'm not shocked about that. That, that okay. would be good. It'd be nice to break down. Uh, and do we find out what happens to one D Reynolds, who is now arguably the biggest linchpin of this silly season? What do you think? I think he goes. Yeah, I think he does too. I think he goes for sure. Um, where he goes. I've got no idea. Which makes an absolute mockery of the 10-year contract. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Well, that oh. will be the biggest question of all of it. Oh. It's got to sure. be the question. Yeah, if he goes, and it's not confirmed yet, but I think the industry thinks he's gone. So it's going to be good. And next week, I will have uh, I'll have some news of advent- an adventure I'm going on later this month. Ooh. That involves me driving a racing car. So that's incredibly terrifying. Ooh. For other people. Forward to that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you about and that. Camera up. Yeah. There, yeah. There'll, there'll be audio. I, I don't know how much of it will be playable, but it's happening. Yeah. So next, we'll talk about that next week. We might maybe. If you're screaming with the high pitched voice, I don't want it. No, no. The, the gentleman, brave soul, providing me with the car. Uh, to drive is an avid listener of On The Grid yep. and a subscriber. Uh, so maybe we need to get him on to explain why he's willing to let this happen. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Yes, but let's it's do that. Chibex. I will because be driving something. I need I'm to doing it. answer. I'm doing it for the show. All right, fantastic. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. it's got nothing to do with my own personal self-gratification. <laughs> Not at all. Not, never if you wanted to race a race car. No. 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 All right, buddy. Talk next All week. Right. Ciao. Crowley joining us here. Stick around because coming up after this little music sting, Dale Rogers talking Formula One. Tony, this weekend the Turkish Grand Prix returns to the Formula One calendar at the ultra-fast uh, circuit in Turkey. First used back in 2005, 5.3-kilometre circuit. Uh, as we've said before, one of the circuits we love, undulating, fast, 
some ripper corners uh, downhill into one and two that fantastic turn eight a flat out turn eight and of course up to turn 12 where in 2010 Sebastian Vettel and Mark Webber probably started their divorce proceedings when they took each other out Hamilton sits on the verge of a seventh title. Uh, he can be champion this weekend. He needs to be about 78 points in front of Bottas. He's 85 currently, so it's really in Bottas's hands to whether he can take the championship up to Hamilton. An anti-clockwise circuit again. Uh, only three this year. We're last, uh, Imola last, uh, last time out, Turkey and Abu Dhabi. And with that turn eight, uh, there is obviously some pressures on the drivers. Uh, it'll be interesting to see those cars absolutely flat out through that section of track. It's also the fifth new track of 2020, uh, but sadly, uh, a lot of these tracks won't be used again in 2021. The calendar just being announced today, it looks very much like a pretty normal calendar for Formula One, Saudi Arabia being the, the one to, uh, to be added. Um, interesting in the points standing, though, is that, and this is quite fascinating, in the, in the Constructors' Championship, Mercedes have 479 points to Red Bull's 226. So if you actually remove... Valtteri Bottas is 197 points. Uh, Mercedes still have 282, which means that Hamilton has beaten every other team in the field just with his own points haul alone. Uh, and the Drivers' Championship, fantastic battle uh, in the, uh, for the minors, I guess. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo at 95, uh, Leclerc on 85 and Perez on 82. Uh, so that battle's really hot for fourth place in the championship. But more so in the, in the Constructors' Championship, Tony, is the uh, Renault on 135, uh, McLaren on 134 and Racing Point on 134. And it shows the importance now for Racing Point particularly to get, uh, uh, to get Lance Stroll back in gear and his performances of late have been questionable. Uh, he certainly will have that seat of course because Dad owns the team um, but uh, you know and also Orcon DNF so a fantastic battle unfortunately not so much at the, at the front end Max Verstappen uh, really took it to the Mercedes cars at Imola and uh, we saw that massive wheel failure uh, rear wheel failure for Max there so let's hope that Red Bull can take it up to Mercedes but I guess the eyes are going to be on whether Lewis can wrap up his seventh world title in Turkey this weekend. Back to you in the studio, Tone. Thank you, Dale. That's another episode of On The Grid wrapped up and locked in the can. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again next week right here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the radio show Limited's RS1. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at radiolamont.com.